0: This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast, an extension of the pitch in Kansas City. I'm your host, Brock Wilbur, and indeed the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. How is everyone doing out there? I am recovering. I think I'd mentioned previously that uh, part of what I do, or used to do, is to be known as the guy that you would come crash with when you came through town in comedy, in music, etc., etc., especially in Los Angeles. Uh, starting to get, do a little bit in KC right before pandemic hit. Um, and I had my friend John Michael Bond swing through this weekend, Uh, He's a stand-up that I've loved and appreciated, toured with, um, spent long nights talking to, even when we're far apart. Uh, And even with all of that communication, that sort of best friendship, there's something magical about going to see a stand-up show uh, when your friend is headlining, where for the next hour, they're just going to tell you everything that's been on their brain for a while, every story of a thing they've experienced (laughs) Every dark little recess, every little memory from childhood that haunts them—it's—it's uh, it's this really fun moment of uh, being like, you know, I could have spent a hundred hours texting him about some of that stuff. It never would have come up, and you wind up leaving in this place uh, where you just feel like you're closer. Um, I know that that is not true of every stand-up comedian. Uh, There are plenty out there. There are burgers of shit uh, who just have nothing of real value to share. Um, But there are a lot of people out there that are just trying to share a human experience. And when they're good at what they do, it is so incredible. Uh, And that was nice for, you know, a crowd of 100 people in Kansas City uh, on a Saturday night to just really connect with somebody that you care about. Maybe that's the most important part like i already just love the guy i i listen to a podcast he records with his dad uh, where they just watch very dad movies uh like things about submarines or the green mile and then talk about him afterwards like that's perfect that's perfect dad content john michael is already basically a dad and like sorry john uh you've been roped in but like it's good wholesome stuff but like um I don't know how many people in that room had any idea who he was when they came in. Uh, and then there's something magical to watch the lights come up at the end and have everyone applauding and being like, I know I know who that person is. I know how they function. I know their belief systems. Uh, there are things I agree with. There are things I don't agree with. Most all of them made me laugh. It was. Um, It was a reminder of how much I love the form of stand-up and how much I want to get back into it because journalism scratches some itches, but there are other itches that like, boy, howdy, I would love to get back into anyway, just to have him come through town, go get barbecue with us, have a couple of drinks and, uh, be merry. A reminder that nature is healing and that things are going well, um, Maybe look up what stand-up is coming to town. Stacy K. has a show uh, that is streamed that is based on people hanging around and having a sleepover. That's available online in Kansas City. Great local comedian. I Everything she does, I love. So, like, very, very excited that there's going to be more of those running. Uh, anyway, comedy. Comedy. The idea of openness. Uh, the idea of... I went to a book reading the other night, too. Just uh, people reading their books. Openness. Openness is the theme of this issue um, where I just uh, I love when people are who they are. Uh, it's been a while. So that's pretty nice. Uh, coming up later, we have an interview with the directors of uh, Here is Better, uh, which wrecked me uh, for reasons you will understand. Uh, But first here, we've got Nick's Music Corner. Nick, take it away.
1: Hello, I'm Nick Spasick, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Singer-songwriter Jessica Page has long been one of Kansas City's most distinctive voices. Not for nothing was she voted Best Vocalist in last year's Best of Kansas City by The Pitch's readers. With a delivery which runs the gamut from pop to country to classic rock to soul, Page's music soars and croons in equal measures. It's been a good hot minute since Jessica Page last released any studio recordings, although her live performances and YouTube channel have been rather lively as of late, which makes her new single, Kissing in the Rain, such a welcome addition to this week's episode. It's a springtime ode to love, and the way it gallops and leaps about feels like you're dancing in your backyard chasing fireflies while it plays in the background. If you like it, there's more on the way. The singer-guitarist and her drummer, Matt Liefer, guitarist Lucas Parker, and keyboardist Nathan Showalter recorded five other songs alongside this one at Bear Creek Studios, and that six-song EP will be entitled Oh Mister to be released later. You can find Jessica Page's Kissing in the Rain streaming now on most digital music providers, and more information can be found at her website, jesspage.com. That's P-A-I-G-E. Here's Kissing in the Rain.
0: for an interview with the uh, the team behind Here is Better. Um, I don't know. A trigger warning for ev- everything here. Uh, this is a documentary about PTSD uh, where one of the main characters fo- focused on is our good friend Jason Kander from here in Kansas City. Um, it, it goes a lot of places. Uh, a lot of those places are dark. Um, it took me a couple of times, uh, to make it all the way through, um, but it's, it's a wildly, wildly important piece of film, so I'm really glad we can be talking about it, can be talking about it now, and, like, you're gonna get to see it soon, and I, I hope you do, I hope you do, it seems very, very important, uh, even if, um, even if it hurts, uh, even to those that are, not expecting it to be in that place it is it is a difficult piece of cinema so here is that interview hello and welcome to the show would the two of
2: you introduce yourselves i'm jack Youngelson, the director of here's better
3: and i'm sean edwards spiel uh the producer of here's better
0: here is better is a brand new documentary what is it about
2: the film follows four veterans through treatment and includes others who are also going through treatment for ptsd including jason candor from kansas city two women we followed in uh in cincinnati and another veteran who lives in florida
3: it's um really a look at the treatment um, that these veterans go through um we Looked at three evidence based treatments um, and followed the stories of the veterans who did those treatments and the outcomes that they have.
0: What is the time frame on which you followed
2: these personal stories? That's a really good question. They're all on different time frames to some degree. Uh, when we were at the, uh, the center in Cincinnati, it was an eight week program where we followed. Uh, various women through cognitive processing therapy, intensive therapy over that time. For Jason candor we connected with him after he had had treatment in Kansas City. So it was more of a follow-up in his story. And John, we also followed over a longer period of time after he had started therapy himself. So they were all on different timelines, if that makes sense.
0: So... Uh this is always the weirdest question to start this one with but like how do you define ptsd
2: well i would say that when we we talked to dr Kate chard she talks about it, it's a response to a traumatic event where you don't have the ability to then recover and individual's responses to traumatic events can differ widely but that's the key thing and so PTSD treatment does try to track that and tries to work with the individuals to, to get through that response to that traumatic event.
3: It shows up really differently in different people. I mean, there are some things and the film shows some similarities and connections to what um, people experience, but it can take um, up to 10 years um, and for PTSD to show up. Um, after an event so there are multiple different ways that it both shows up and therefore um, perhaps not therefore but also treatments um, differ in their efficacy on different people different kinds of ptsd respond differently to different kinds of treatment too
0: well that raises like such a big uh open door question which is like if you are 10 years out from a traumatic event, is there a consistent set of symptoms that you could look out for Is a thing? Could a thing happen that you're like, oh, that's PTSD or is it just one of those? It's like, you know, it, it, it can live here and be many different versions of a thing. And, and what do you do if you aren't sure?
2: That's a really good question. I I think when we talk about the years following the event itself, I think that again, Dr. Kitchard talked about on average it could take up to twelve years for individuals to go seek treatment, to go seek therapy, and so I think that's the key thing. There might be other variables in their lives, other reasons why they push back, other distractions, maybe, and at that point, so far from the triggering event, there comes a time or a moment where they feel. they need it they need that help or there are no other choices for themselves at that point
0: uh we will get into some specifics of the movie that you sent me uh just to hurt my feelings and make me cry but I, i it's been a while since i've tried to make it through a movie and haven't been able to do it like until the fourth time like a round two, my wife came downstairs and was like, you've got to turn off whatever's happening. And I was like, it's the same thing. Um yeah, I'm very close personally with Jason Kander I saw him last night and Diana and who watched them retell their stories a lot. Um I I I guess that there is sort of this question here that like I I feel like is broached in the story and that uh, I don't have an edit note to say it be expanded upon, but it uh, it feels like it taps into something that I, I, I find fascinating and horrifying in equal measure, which is that like, I don't know, five years ago, I went to a therapist that said, I think you have PTSD. And I was like, (laughs) no way I did not serve in the military no one ever shot at me that is reserved uh for people with bullet wounds and even Jason Kander refused to accept that despite having served in Afghanistan and done a lot of things and then I have uh, a friend that sort of trickles up from him that lives in St. Louis who's like yeah, yeah, I, I had rockets shot at me every night, but I still was like, no, PTSD is still entirely reserved for like Lieutenant Dan's who lost their legs. Like there's no, it's, it's the only mental illness that no one feels okay accepting because there is like a stolen honor to it. And that's such a fascinating thing. Would you talk about that? <laughs>
2: It's a really powerful idea. I mean, Jason says it so eloquently. I mean, he, he talks about others who we serve with, who felt he felt never, he never deserved the attention or the treatment that he might have benefited from early on because he was comparing himself to others. And there are these consistent stories across the narratives of all the veterans we spoke with that kind of resonated there. And, um, you know, we also know that there can be many other triggering events besides combat, but so often that PTSD is linked to combat veterans. That's the narrative that we so often hear. And so there's an expansion clearly of, of all sorts of reasons that can, that can uh, lead someone um, to that diagnosis and also to treatment later on. So it's kind of dispelling some of those myths that was really important to us in telling this story and making, you know, kind of opening up that conversation so people understand that it's not just reserved for this, this group of people who have suffered in so many ways.
3: At 12 million adults um, in the US have PTSD given in, a, in any given year. And so when you think about that number, that tells you that we're not just talking about military. Um, although military people are twice as likely to have, PTSD Um, anybody is susceptible to PTSD
0: so that anyone is susceptible opens that door that like I don't know it it becomes funny when somebody on Twitter says hey I have PTSD because somebody made fun of my Instagram photo but like I've I've learned to not throw that there there is a question here i I think about ptsd and in understanding where it applies um that requires a limitation do you guys feel that way or do you feel like ptsd can take many many forms like is is anyone that thinks they have ptsd a person with ptsd or what is the line where someone should be like No, somebody else needs to weigh in as a doctor and tell you that that's the thing you should be treating.
3: I'd say I think if you think you have PTSD, you should um, have that investigated. I mean, I think that's the that that would be the baseline.
0: (laughs) I I I think that like the I wouldn't have asked this question like five years ago, but then a lot of things happened uh, in the government and the world, and it feels like. I, I have no ability left in me to hear somebody say that they have PTSD and to say, I don't think that that's real because like, yes, everything is on fire constantly all the time. There's a pandemic. There was a government that tried to destroy us all. Like there's, <laughs> there's so much here that like 10 years ago, it wouldn't have counted in my head. But now I'm just like, anyone that says they do I feel they do. Is that a good way of approaching things?
2: (laughs) I mean, I'd say that, you know, two years into the pandemic, like people suffered tremendously from isolation, from, uh, from not being able to mourn loved ones, from an inability to see the world in the way that they used to see it. So I don't think we should take anything for granted. I think we're in this little window where things are clearly uh, seemingly better in so many ways, but I think there's been a lot of, of pain and a lot of suffering. And I think it's kind of keeping your eyes open to that. I feel like in some ways that the film also doesn't necessarily only speak to a, a veteran's audience to a, but to a wider civilian audience as well. If you could start to look at the treatments through that lens, you could start to look at the, the triggers and a deeper understanding of PTSD through that lens. I think it, it really opens up the door to a bigger conversation that's not just veteran focused.
0: So, yeah, for the two of you, like, how did you settle on these four subjects that we follow?
3: There was some self-selection sort of aspect to it in the sense that when we went to, uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the, the women in the VA, when we went in to talk to the women in the program, we asked whether they would be open to having us in their therapy. And while everybody agreed to have us in their group therapy, the two women who are featured are the two women who gave us access to their private therapy. And Jack can tell you about John and Jason.
2: Well, John was uh, going to a retreat in Florida that was outside of the VA, but exposing him to different types of therapies and therapeutic processes, including EMDR. And we also felt that we wanted to not just focus on VA treatments, but also treatments that were in these other settings. And this is what led him, led us to John. He was also a Vietnam War veteran, a Vietnam veteran. And so we wanted to also showcase uh, different generations in the film and different experiences. And he had been carrying his trauma for over over 50 years. And so it was really, um, a. a some ways different, but very similar to some of the experiences of, of younger veterans who may have served in Afghanistan or, or Iraq. And with Jason Kander and, and with Diana, his story was a very public story in many ways, but it was also a very private story. We were the first in uh, documentary team to speak with him after coming out of therapy. He put a great deal of trust in us. And, and I also feel with Diana as well. Her story of talking about secondary PTSD and its impact on the families and, and, and the wider community, is something that was again echoed in a lot of the other narratives that we were, that we were exploring. I also feel like there's when we talked a bit before about isolation under COVID, a thing that's very important to Jason, Diana, and another big theme in the film is this question of community. How do you find your way back to community? When that might be something that you didn't have in your life or that felt separate from you. And so that felt like a very important thing for us to also look at. Uh,
0: Jason and Diana were both people I uh, worked for uh, here in Kansas City leading up to that day. And uh, it remains like the happiest, saddest day I've ever had because I've spent so much of my 30s being like, hey, men, get into therapy. Uh, and then Jason bowed out of an election. He would easily have won because everyone else was dropping out. I was like, you yeah, know, I just got to go take care of me. And uh, other people that served in the military should do the same. And it became something that wasn't just, hey, men, get into therapy. It was like, hey, all of you, if you if you feel bad, do this. Um <laughs> and my one of my favorite days uh, of my life in Kansas City was my wife and I went over dinner at their place. Uh, it was a month or two into Jason being like, "Yeah, I'm building models with my kid. I'm not thinking about D.N.C. meetings. I think I want to get into stand-up comedy." And I'm a stand-up comic that toured for years, and I was like, "Oh, Jason, no." That is not where you're gonna find safety, comfort, or happiness. Oh, please do not do what that thing is. I, I guess the big question is that like that you you have a good amount of it in the documentary and I would love to know your thoughts on it, but like what do you think of the VA?
2: Well, the VA is the, is is the you know it's the largest healthcare provider I believe in 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 the country, uh, and I think that many veterans we spoke with they may have had negative experiences just walking in the door, and there was something that that they didn't like about that initial experience, whoever they engaged with, whoever it was, whoever it was that they kind of first saw. But but many many others had very positive experiences, and so. It can be a bit of a monolithic organization to many people, and it's hard to navigate, which is something that Jason spoke of. But at the same time, many, many veterans we, we engaged with felt like when they found that right fit, the right therapist who worked for them, they, they, were, they were very happy with kind of the treatment that they received. And they, okay. so it's mixed. I mean, there are clear biases when when people hear that you know, think of the VA to some respect, but at the same time, there's remarkable, remarkable work that's being done. So you're very like pro what VA can do when
0: it's not being screwed over by finances or bureaucracy.
2: Yeah, I mean, in some ways I'd say like, The veterans that we looked at in the film all had experiences within the VA itself, but we were really focused more on the types of therapy that they were receiving than where they were receiving it. Because when you think about John, for example, he wasn't receiving that EMDR treatment through the VA itself. So they all had different engagements at different points with the VA, but I don't think that was ever something that we were trying to kind of parse in terms of where did they get the best treatment or where was the you know, private versus public? Those weren't questions we were looking at versus what are the best treatments? I think those were the key questions. What are the most effective vetted treatments for PTSD? And that's where we began.
3: Yeah, I think um, what struck us w- when we started this journey was how many people are trying to help other people and whether we were in the private sector where we met John or in the VA, Jack and I would leave meeting after meeting and look at each other and say, "There is so, there are so many people trying to help and trying to figure this out. And that was something that struck us. And so if you see positivity <laughs> in any place in our film, I think the honoring of the people who are trying to help is part of the film in the same way that we are seeing the people who are going through the experience, that we are also trying to be true to the people that we saw offering support to those people.
0: Will you both go on record as apologizing for making me cry over my friends?
3: Um, yes, I'm very sorry.
2: <laughs>
3: um, I, go, I go
2: on record for uh, making you cry. Forever.
3: Sure. <laughs> no, I'm so,
0: but, I,
2: will, I will say this, We're, when, let me turn the question toward you. Like what, when, what, what brought those tears? Yeah.
0: The entirety of your fucking movie, my dude, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like it is brutal from start to finish and and equally wonderful and inspiring as somebody that just wants people to have. So I, I think that's the next best question is that you guys have made a specialist film about PTSD that is focused on Service people, um, what do you hope that everyone else gets from it? Because like, it will certainly be seen by mostly non-service people. And in most cases, I, I'm sure people that don't have PTSD that might have bipolar type two, rapid cycling, like, I don't know. What, what do you hope the documentary accomplishes?
2: Well, I mean, my feeling is across the board, everyone we spoke with, like, I was, I was, I was always just amazed and, and, and just honored by the fact that people were willing to share their stories, that were willing to kind of go out there and open their lives and their hearts in ways that were, were incredibly honest and incredibly direct in ways that said, like, this is not something that's shameful. This is something I'm engaged with right now in my life. It might be different two years, five years. 10 years down the road but right now this is what I'm dealing with and that's a gift when you have when you have that kind of exchange And in some ways I think I know that there are clearly like challenging and sad and tough parts of this movie but at the same time I feel like that's an incredible opportunity to open the door not just on sure. PTSD but if you're talking about any sort of mental illness or any condition where you feel like there's a shame or a burden of carrying it you don't want to talk about it I would hope that this film is that opportunity to say that's okay to begin that conversation, to begin that opportunity to be be more public and not feel like something you have to contain. They every in the movie contributed in that way in deep, deep, profound ways. And
3: I think um, what you said about you know are, are we sorry about you you're, you you feeling the film? I think what is so important here is that the film allows you to go there um, and that these people take you there and I think that's what you know I still cry at moments in this film and and you can imagine Jack and I have seen this film many 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 times but <laughs> it's when when there are certain moments that happen, I also feel like it's a sort of privilege to be able to go there and that the, that the film is about being able to say and be open to this experience in some way. So um, uh, while I, you know, well, I want to say, well, I said, you know, I'm sorry that you felt that way in some way. I think it's a, it's it's the privilege that these people have given us to be able to engage with them on that level in a way that, as Jack said, is destigmatizing of the idea of being upset and that not being okay. It's mm-hmm. like it's okay to not be okay.
2: Right. I think of Tabitha's line in the film, like she wants to do anything other than feel her emotions, right? And I think that's something that we could all relate to in certain times in our lives and certain situations. And I think that 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 the film in kind of capturing the vulnerability and strengths of the people who are are featured in the movie allow you to kind of go on that journey with them and emotionally feel that tug as well.
0: Uh, So I guess uh, uh, last question here is just sort of like, yeah, you have a film about PTSD, but it's really a film about like, being okay with pursuing, like, fixing mental illness or, you know, going out there and being like, hi, I would need some help with this. Um, for, For each of you, what is the one piece of advice that you think that you would offer to somebody in just starting their journey? Beyond, like, calling to look for a therapist because that's its own hellish nightscape, but like what would you tell people to do if they watch this and they're like,
2: well, I would, I would
0: love to finally reckon with some demons. Uh,
2: I mean, circling back to what we said before, I, 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 I was surprised and shocked that it could take on average 12 years for individuals to seek help for PTSD. That was remarkable to me. I didn't, I didn't realize that coming into making the film that there could be such such a lag between the event and seeking treatment and i think you know that it's not too late to ask for help ever that there that there are opportunities to kind of look in this new path new direction i also feel like when we talk about mental health and we talk about not just the stigma but the different kind of siloed ways that treatment works for people part of it is i think that you know for many of us, if you've had a bad experience with one therapist or one type of therapy, you might just say, I'm never going to do that again. Why should I put myself through that? That was horrific or it didn't do anything. I was just picking out a wound, whatever it might be. But there are different paths. Jason says that really, really well in the film where he talks about when he first saw his therapist, like if this doesn't work, then we're going to try something else. And that other thing doesn't work, we're going to try something else. So it's kind of opening yourself up to that option that there's not just kind of like a one-size-fits-all treatment for PTSD, or, or frankly, many many other ailments that could kind of fit under that umbrella.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the at the end of the film is the national suicide hotline, and it is there for anybody and everybody. Um, I I think the other thing I would say is goes back to the point that um, you made at the beginning, Brock, which is about uh, honoring how you feel. This is, you know, everybody in this film, they allowed us to put a camera very, very close to them. And why did they do that? (laughs) They did it because they wanted to help other people and they wanted to share their story in the hope that other people wouldn't feel alone in having a similar journey. And so what I would say is whatever you feel, honor that. Because these people allowed us into their lives in order that whoever sees this film knows that what they're feeling is real.
0: Uh, I'm going to let you out. So to go, uh, where can people follow the film, find it?
3: Here is better.org um, is, um, is the website and there will be regular updates um, for uh, what's happening with the film there. Anything else? Thank you very much for um, taking the time and... Uh, for watching the film and wanting to share the message. We really appreciate that.
0: Thank you, of course. Hope you guys have a great time. Also, just as an off-the-record one, Jason and Diana uh, watched me go through some loss a year and a half ago, uh, and they were like, let's book you with Jason's therapist. And I was like, okay don't know what Jason's therapist is like and Jason's therapist is like a child therapist so I came in they're like would you like to hold a dinosaur and like put this puzzle together and me as sort of a piece of shit it's just like nah nah this is not the one for me I <laughs> I think there's other things I'll find my way through but like it was just very funny to be like what a wonderful gift from jason and diana this woman that wanted me to build a dinosaur and talk about my parents but like (laughs) hey congrats the movie is fucking just wonderful and brutal like uh we i had a couple of friends over with my wife to watch the screener and uh two people left because they were crying too much and the rest of us like started texting Jason and Diana. So like, that's ah, it's a really good version of it. I actually moved to KC to work for Jason and then Jason did the bail on the mayor thing. And it remains to this day, the happiest I've ever been to lose a job because I was like, Oh, that's going to save the lives of a lot of men that man that like dissembled a mm. machine gun on television saying like you should go to therapy it's like all right like lost a lost job but like for a great reason so <laughs> anyway you guys it's an incredible film cannot wait to promote it ad infinitum but like thank you so much for talking to me today thank, thank you thank you have a wonderful day you <laughs> too And ladies and gentlemen, that was the Streetwise podcast. Thank you guys so much for showing up every week. I'm Brock Wilbur. I'm the editor-in-chief over at The Pitch. Uh, Check out what we are doing each and every day at ThePitchKC.com. Incredible journalism supporting our community. Our latest issue of the magazine is on stands now. It has something of a provocative cover, uh, but there's a lot of great stories inside, so... Uh, Please don't be scared away by us doing exactly what we're known for doing. Anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in. Love you all very much. Take care of yourselves out out there. Pitch in, and we'll make it through. Bye-bye-bye.